Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Morning Show podcast. Uh, we've got another supersized show for you. That's right, Kylie. National Treasure Maggie Beard joins us on the hunt for Australia's best produce. Anthony Clear is going to join us, and he's going to talk about life in lockdown and returning to the stage for live performances. And some guy named Sam Mack, who I'm told is the weather presenter on Sunrise, apparently, he tells us how he roped in a publisher for letting him write a book. <laughs> but first, can you believe it's been nine years since we lost the great Whitney Houston? We caught up with the icon's sister-in-law turned manager as she continues to honour the singer's legacy. Well, it's one of the most popular dance floor anthems of the 80s. And this weekend, Whitney Houston's iconic hit, I Want to Dance with Somebody, turns 34. Three decades on, that infectious beat still has the ability to get anyone on their feet. Whitney was, of course, a powerhouse performer. You just have to look at her incredible back catalogue to see why. And joining us now is Pat Houston, Whitney's former manager and sister-in-law from Atlanta. Uh, welcome to The Morning Show. Good morning. Hi, it's lovely to see you. We're going to get to your new series in just a moment, but if we can go back to those days, 1992, you first met Whitney in the same year that she starred in The Bodyguard. I mean, what was that, mm -hmm. what was that like? What was that time of your lives like together? You know what? Um, I had just met Gary at that particular time, and I believe Whitney was performing at the Sands in um, Las Vegas, and Gary invited me out, and it was such an honour to see her, you know, Whitney Houston, but for me it was more of an honor to see my husband or my future um, standing on stage and performing. I always love hearing Gary perform. Whitney was just a plus. <laughs> <laughs> now you would not only go on, you would go on to be her manager, right, but her confidant as well. Uh, she would have been 58 this year. Did you guys ever discuss what this part of life would look like in your, in your 50s or coming up to 60s, how that would look? You know what, we were, Whitney was very, very interested in producing film uh, right before she passed. As a matter of fact, we were working on a film, um, the Judy Garland story, uh, one of her films, If I Could Go On Singing, and Whitney was one of the producers. She had just had meetings with Greg Sadin um, about uh, being one of the producers for the show here in Atlanta. And, you know, right before she passed, all the meetings were set up for her to do that film. So it was all about producing film for her because she was involved with uh, Cinderella's one and two, uh, you know, Princess Diaries one and two, um, the Cheetah Girls, and she was on her way to producing. Mm. In 2018, you produced the documentary on her life, and that included her family contributing for the very first time. I mean, some of us were shocked maybe to hear that um, Whitney's experiences with drugs began back when she was a teenager. Um, did anyone ever try and intervene back in those days? Do you know, Pat? Um, you, you know, of course, you know, you, 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 when you're using drugs at a young age, it's always recreational. You know, you never expect for, for it to become a lifestyle. And I think that's what it ha happened to her. Um, and with many conversations with Gary, with him also, you, you start out using drugs and you end up it becoming a lifestyle and um, it can, you can get caught up in that. And that's exactly what happened. It could happen to anyone. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Whitney's best friend, Robin Crawford, has since described Whitney's religious beliefs and how this sort of interrupted their alleged romantic relationship of the day. Now, today, performers don't tend to shy away from these types of issues, of course. Do you, do you think if Whitney was here today that her public image, her story might be different? Um, her story would be different because her life was changing. She had a, a brand new life. She was mm. uh, a single mother. She was a single woman as she had aspirations it was all about her career at that point Chrissy was 
18 years old and, you know, she's old enough to make some of her own decisions. Whitney was well on to the way to just managing her career. And uh, it was very exciting um, to be working with her at that point. Mm. You've just launched your own online series and it's called Straight Talk. Uh, it's all about the wisdom you've learned after a life in showbiz. Um, tell us about it. Straight Talk is actually an extension of a program that Whitney and I started back in 2007 called Teen Summit. And when COVID happened, because we usually would host an event every October in North Carolina, that's where I'm from, and we would invite celebrities and community leaders at large to come in and talk about a subject uh, that we had for the platform. And um, each platform, each celebrity would speak about, from Tyler Perry to Ricky Minor to Deborah Chase Martin to the Winans. I mean, it was so many, Dionne Warwick, uh, Devon Franklin, um, so many of them. And when COVID happened, we decided to uh, move on and not disconnect with Team Summit, but continue with straight talk and use some of the same topics or build some of the same up topics that we could talk about that we could continue to mentor the young ladies that we've been mentoring for all of those many years. Mm. So that's how straight talk It's just a continuation of Teen Summit. Yeah, some very powerful conversations. You talk about in the days leading to Whitney's death when she, she asked you why people judge her. So how did this conversation come about and how did it finish? You know, we were actually having um, lunch at the Beverly Hills, um, Beverly Hilton Hotel. Um, I believe the restaurant is called Circa. And we were, she was sitting and she just said, Pat, why do people judge me? Uh, she had just seen some articles or maybe something from the tabloids and everyone is always so interested in the decisions that she made about her life other than music. And, you know, she would always say, I paid to entertain you, not to for you to live my life for me. And uh, that seemed to have been a problem for her, a struggle for her. People always, you know, interfering or having something to say about the decisions she made in her personal life. And that was just a struggle for her. And at that moment, when she asked that, why do people judge me? I just had to find words for her. And I told her that only God can judge you at his appointed time. And I think that settled her at that moment. But it was the very first time, you know, and she did have that childlike look on her face, um, like I was the principal and she was a student <laughs> looking for direction. And um, hopefully, in, in my mind, I was helping her. Well, Pat, still millions and millions of fans for her right around the world and plenty of people miss her music still today. So we do appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Pat thank Houston, thank you. For more details about the podcast Straight Talk with Pat Houston, head across to our website and we'll point you in the right direction. Well, as a journalist with more than 30 years' experience, there are a few stories that Mel Doyle hasn't covered. Tell but you. her latest project may be her most ambitious yet. Mel is having an open and honest conversation about ageing. From goddess circles, oh, I want one of those, to the anti-ageing <laughs> industry, celebrity interviews and just some good old-fashioned advice. So over seven episodes, Mel's new podcast will explore what it's like to become an older woman in a modern world. And Mel... Doyle joins us live. Hi. Hi. Hey, nice Mel. Good morning. You. Nice to see you. So when we tune into the podcast, yep. it kicks off on your 50th birthday. Yep. And then after that, we're off and racing. Yes. So what, what was this? But we do a goddess circle. A goddess I've circle. I've never done one of those before. What is that? That's what really that? intense. You sit around in this big circle and talk about things. Do you and have I to cried. be a goddess to, <laughs> yeah, no, to be in the circle? No, you all emerge a goddess. No, no. <laughs> um, it was really fascinating. It was talking about the um, seasons and how they apply to us as ageing. So when you're young, it's spring, then you move into summer and then you move into autumn and winter and how it parallels your life. Just a really oh. different way of looking at it. So we explored everything to do with getting older. I thought the goddess circle was that special ring light you use in, <laughs> no. when you're doing Instagram. Oh, that too. Yeah, exactly. That, 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 that now, makes you look like a goddess, right? <laughs> now, you speak to a lot of people for this series, yep. and you met your television counterpart over there in Finland. Do the Finns do it differently? Do they age better than we do? They just seem to have... You know, whenever they do the happiness index, they are so far ahead of us, and we were really curious why. And even deeper things like the, um, you know, the gender pay gap, they're number four in the world, or we're number 44. So we were really curious why Finland was just...
just doing so much better on lots of things. It's a bit, it all comes down to support and everything yeah. from social security and all sorts of different issues. But we interviewed um, Hedalina Siela, who was a breakfast television host in Finland with two children and then left and is now doing another job and just wanted to sort of track the differences. Oh, wow. Yeah, and an amazing woman in Finland, Lena, who is a 62-year-old skateboarder. Fantastic. Oh, very cool. You know what? It's also that soft light they've got over there in yeah. Finland. It's like, yeah. of course, I'd not be happy to see It's like one huge goddess circle. Soft, <laughs> soft light. It's not just celebrities that, that you chat to. Yeah. Uh, you also speak to some homegrown stars as well. Well, we were interested in covering all. Like, there's one episode we talk about. It's called Guts and Glory. So finding your brave. As you get older, do you get scared to do some of the things? You know, when you're a kid, you just give anything a go and, you know, you kind of go, if I fall off my bike, I fall off my bike. So we spoke to Marsha Hines about things like stage fright and do you how do you hold your nerve and as you get older are you more brave to try new things Rachel Griffiths who um, took on her. directing mm -hmm. Ride Like a Girl at 50 and said that was yeah. one of the scariest things she'd ever done so we were just really fascinated to find out as you get older why are some people braver to try new things why do some people get scared of them and from a celebrity perspective is it dif more difficult to age in the spotlight do you think we, no, I mean, get, yeah. given that Marsha Hines hasn't aged a day. I know. Yeah, 30 years. Not, but she hasn't. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, we talked to Julia uh, Morris about it yeah. because you get people commenting, which normally most people don't. You have your spouse and your friends and maybe your parents, but you yeah. don't have an audience. But it was interesting. One of the things that Rachel Griffith said was that by having fame, wealth, privilege, education, all of those factors, they're the things that can actually set you up for ageing better that you're more secure in who you are and where you go forward. So that potentially can be quite a valuable currency for some people. Mm. But I think as how you feel about yourself, it probably doesn't make a huge difference. Just everyone else can buy into it and tell you you're much smaller than I thought. Yeah. You. Um, the podcast covers a lot of ground. What do you think you learned most, Mel? Oh, or took on board, maybe? I learnt how... Many, many women are struggling with it. Many women face a hardship at this point in their life that they hadn't anticipated, whether it's financial, whether it's, um, you know, no longer having job security, regular income, that there are so many women that are in a much worse place than they thought they would be in the second half mm. of their life. But on the flip side, how many women are loving it and reveling in it because they are brave and they don't care what people think and they don't have to worry about all the day-to-day -day things they used to and their kids have left home and they're free and they're having a great time. Yeah. So it really comes down to how you have been, how you've set your life up and the circumstances are that lead you to that point as to how strong you are going forward. Mm. And mindset? Like mindset and purpose was a right. big word that came up. Um, people that had something to do, something to give, mm. that they still felt relevant and of value was a really important thing. So things like mentoring and passing on your wisdom, mm. still being employed, having a role to play in your family, like all of those things really made a difference to how they felt about it. Now, on a personal note, you're, you're sleeping in, right? Yeah, so you feel that, good helps. that helps. <laughs> that helps. And your little baby girl just celebrated oh, her formal this goodness weekend. goodness me. We yeah. sent her off on Friday night. Tears? So she's totally... Yeah. She, oh, what a look doll. at her. She just... She just grew up overnight. She yeah. just went from being my little, I don't know, she felt 15 to suddenly 17 and I think we need to lock her in a tower now. Send her to Finland. That was year 12 formal. That's very early to have well, a Well, actually 12. it was a year 11 formal that oh. moved to this year because it was postponed about three times thanks yeah, to right, COVID. Right. So, so it was a year 11 formal in year 12. In year 12, yeah, exactly. Okay. So two formals happened. in one year this year now, so you need another dress. No, 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 no that's it. They don't oh, have done. one this year. Right. Yeah. Great to see you, Mel. Thanks for having Thanks. me. Nice now, to see you guys. Mel Doyle's new podcast is called Age Against the Machine. It's available right now on Audible. Well, as far as Australian food icons go, Maggie Beer is cream of the crop. Over the past 40 years, the culinary star has become a national treasure, encouraging home cooks with her best-selling books and countless TV credits. But it's Maggie's paddock-to-plate approach that she's most passionate about, harvesting ingredients from her farm in the beautiful Barossa Valley. Now she's looking outwards and searching the country for some of the best produce we have to offer. And Maggie Beer joins us live from Adelaide. Hi, Maggie, great to see you. How are things on the farm? Oh, thank you, Kylie and Larry. Well, um, we're very dry here in the Barossa in South Australia. But um, uh, it's been a, a, a mild summer, so good crops. So 
but we need rain badly. Yeah, right. Hey, the weather is getting cooler, of course, and that means time to tuck into some warm, comforting food. Uh, what have you been cooking up recently? Well, for me, well, on the weekend, it was goose, actually. Oh. <laughs> goose, goose on a charcoal barbecue. Um, and uh, that was pretty good. And and roasted beetroots and um, anything from our farm or, or the garden. And um, so I'm still getting eggplant, eggplant, and I love it in so many ways. So I never tire of what, um, of what comes out of, um, yeah. of the garden. Produce is so important to me, which is why I'm so proud to be part of the delicious Harvey Norman Produce Awards, of course. Right. Do you ever open just a tin of tuna for lunch, Maggie? Like, <laughs> like, what are you having for lunch? Like a piece of toast? Do you ever do that? Or is it always goose and beetroot? No, it's not always goose and beetroot. In fact, I love sardines. Sardines, so not a tin of tuna, but a tin of sardines on a bit of sourdough, bread, caramel, you know, really burnished and some lemon squeezed over it and some red onion. That That's my... That's my go-to. That's your oh. easy go-to. Oh, that makes me very happy. Oh, that makes go me very goose, happy. Goose stuff with sardines. That's going to be a good one. Look <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's no, keep no. Them separate. <laughs> hey, you've been really busy uh, over the past year with your online classes. They've been going great guns, right? How have you adapted to virtual cooking? Oh, well, for me, just being in my kitchen and cooking and sharing my love of, of food and produce um, is the easiest thing in the world for me. Um, mm. It's um, and my assistant Chris on the other end of my phone. That is that's as simple as it's been, but it is about sharing and it is about about talking about produce and um, these are the important things to me in life. Thinking Australian too, it always underpins everything I do. You mentioned the delicious Harvey Norman Produce Awards. The state winners have just been released, Maggie. What yes. types of produce have been included? Well, of course, I have here, I have here one of my, my great favourites in life is butter. And here, the South Australian um, uh, state winner, the Dairyman Farm Butter Barossa. So, you know, I love butter, I love Barossa. So I'm really chuffed that um, uh, that should win. But look, there are there are so many, we, we have these different categories. Um, we, we have from the sea, from the paddock, um, uh, from the sea, from the paddock, uh, and from uh, the dairy, uh, and oh, um, oh, um, sea paddock earth, dairy earth, and earth. Yes. So we have, we have the most amazing array. And this year, um, with the state winners, with 127 produce, uh, producers receiving state awards, mm. and they will now go to the nationals. Yeah, so I, this is really important stuff. Really, it really, really is. And and buying locally grown produce is very important as well for us all, right? Well, it is. And more particularly, I think COVID has taught us a lot about buying locally. But when you think of what happens in this country of ours, you know, we've, we've gone through drought, the devastating bushfires and the floods in New South Wales. We have to protect our farmers. We have to think local because that will give us the very best produce that we that is possible to do so yes um i'm very passionate about it i always have been and um uh, but now more than ever we need to support our farmers mm. so the finals are later this year you lend your name to one of the awards which is the maggie beer award for outstanding contribution <laughs> to australian food that is a mouthful, as is your food. Uh, some fantastic foodies have previously won. It must be such a such an honour, Maggie. Well, it is such an honour to be able to pick someone that I feel and um, has contributed so much. I mean, we, we are surrounded by such talent um, in Australia in the food world. Such innovation um there is always someone who stands out every year and it's been the 16th year this has happened mm. so and i keep it very close to my chest till the last night oh wonderful <laughs> well maggie i can't wait to get home and make a sardine and goose toasted sandwich because you said that would work lovely to talk to you as always <laughs> don't forget the butter don't forget Oh, the bug. beautiful. Thank you, Maggie. For more about the delicious Harvey Norman Produce Awards, you can pick up a copy of this month's Delicious magazine. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, we first fell in love with Tolly Goldsmith as one of the Chanteuses. The all-star girl group climbed up the charts with hits like I Want to Be Up, Kiss and Tell, and their 80s breakout smash, Witch Queen. Since then, Toddy has gone to pave a career uh, as an in-demand actor, appearing in big and small screen roles. But now, the Aussie star is headed back to her theatre roots and treading the boards in a dramatic new role. And Toddy Goldsmith uh, joins us from Melbourne. Hi, Toddy. Great hey. to see you. Good morning. Great to see you too. Hi. Can you turn me up a bit? I can barely hear you. Oh. What I... about if we yell? Can you hear us now? <laughs> can you yell? Yeah. I don't know if there's a volume here. Or oh, maybe there is. I think you have to do it your end. How's that? Can you okay. hear us? I can hear you enough. Wait, I'll turn Kylie up. <laughs> okay. Is that better? Oh, I found it. I found it. Thanks. Great. Okay, yeah. all good. Hi. Hey. Hi. <laughs> it's not live or anything. We can just do this later. We'll edit that out. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've had a busy few years travelling to LA, yeah. uh, all the acting training before the COVID lockdown. Are you back yeah. in Melbourne? Nice being back. Oh, it's so good being back. It was sort of a bit of a blessing to um, come back here because when we had lockdown, and as you know, in Melbourne, it went on for a very long time, I did things I wouldn't normally do. And one of them was checking, seeing what LinkedIn was about. And I was writing and really interested in theatre and Australian theatre. And I stumbled a, a, a across a guy called Michael Gray Griffith, who is the um, the writer and the creator with his, his partner, Hannah Hayes, of the Wolf's Theatre Company. So I reached out to them and they wrote back and said, oh, it's really lovely to hear from you, but, you know, why were you reaching out to us? And I said, I'm writing, da, da, da. They said, well, we actually had you in mind and had your name on the table for a piece with um, called a drifting that Amanda Muggleton's interested in. Oh, wow. And so I read the piece and I laughed and I cried because it was, you know, it really touched home. You know, it's, it's geared at the um, sort of 45 and up demographic, although there's younger people in their pieces. And so we did a read over Zoom and um, now Amanda and I are actually going to do a rehearsed read at the Brunswick Ballroom on the on the 10th of May, uh, hopefully getting funding for it. But I'm also working on an amazing piece called The Magnolia Tree, which we start yeah. touring next week. Tell us about and, that one. Well, it's, it's really, uh, look, it's a heavy subject matter. It's um, about three siblings who underneath really love each other, but they've grown apart and they, yeah, they do not get on very well. And their mother, their, you know, last surviving parent is um, got advanced Alzheimer's and it's a whole discussion of what do we do? Do we put her in aged care and spend an absolute fortune on that or do we take her life? So do right. we commit a murder? So it's... Um, it's more, it's more about the siblings and the conflict, but it's mm. incredibly... Look, it's a dark subject matter, but something we're all dealing with in, in our demographic. But it's wickedly funny as well. Very dark humour. It's beautifully written. I, it was the first... I read it and read it and read it, and the, every time I just got more and more out of it, and it really touched mm. home because when I first got it, my dad was in aged care, and um, I didn't want to see him disappear, you know. He, thankfully, this is really bizarre sounding this, but thankfully he passed away before it got to that point where he was just disappearing. And um, so we didn't have to make that decision, but it's a big decision. And the wild thing with this play is they've actually put it on a, a few times and um, Ezra Bix, who plays my brother, said it's fascinating because at the end of the play they give the audience the decision whether to commit the murder or not. Oh. And it seems to go 50-50. So the play stops and the narrator comes out and offers the audience the oh, option wow. of making the decision. And then we know to play two different endings. Do we take the life of the mother or do we not? Oh, and um, so it's really up to the audience. And Ezra also said that um, he's never done a play where people hang around afterwards for so long talking to about talk, it. To talk, yes. Yeah, it's yeah. such an interesting yeah. topic. And um, But it's a beautiful piece. It's very bold. It's very contemporary. Um, it's really aged at our demographic, and um, yeah, and it's yeah, it's wickedly funny, yeah. and it's really exciting because yesterday we've been rehearsing at the Alex Theatre, and we're also doing a premiere there on the on the twenty first 
of um, next of next month, and um, they've offered the Wolf Theatre Company a residency, which yes, is that's great. amazing. Yeah. Great. Speaking yeah. speaking of women doing amazing stuff, we saw Margot Robbie's production company won an Oscar uh, earlier this week. You guys actually oh, go man. way back. Uh, you played Margot's mum a decade ago I on Neighbours. I did. I did. She is such a beautiful human being and I just every time I see what she's doing I'm just I, I couldn't be more proud and we were really close she's incredibly funny really earthy and I called her Bubsy and she called me Mumsy and we caught up in LA a couple of times and she still calls me Mumsy and she's <laughs> a super super gorgeous human being so I'm I'm so proud of her I can't begin to tell you and it makes sense that she's doing so well because it it was just where she was going to go she dreams big she thinks big with so much joy and freedom she's just mm. beautiful well wow. toddy yeah. your answers were so in-depth and comprehensive we've sort of just run out of time just like that <laughs> Have but we? yeah i'm so, so sorry but it was it was terrific to chat to you let's catch up again shortly because it sounds like oh, we've got so much to talk about so great to see so you guys and thank on. you for having me on Thanks, right. Charlie. and we're going to introduce that theater technology to the show so our viewers can decide whether we come back tomorrow or not <laughs> the ending yeah, yeah. no please don't give them that power because <laughs> because we may not like the way it ends. Well, as Sunrise weatherman, Sam Mack has visited more than 800 towns across Australia, which is a pretty amazing feat, but that's not all he's done. He's topped the charts, he's put his body on the line, and revealed way too much on the telly. <laughs> way too much. But if you thought a bit of nudity was a lot, well, you ain't seen nothing yet because Sam, who is one of our uh, top three favourite weather people <laughs> from Adelaide, uh, has just released an autobiography. Haven't you, Sam Mack? Welcome to the show. Good to Larry see you, mate. And Kylie, thank you very much for having me on. This is such an exciting day. Um, it's you know launch day. It's publishing day. People can actually get the book in stores. And I know you love the uh, the wrapping paper. Uh, so here it is. Uh, you'll have to share that. I mean, you know, there's budget issues as well, so you have to share <laughs> that. We, we share. We share a lot. Yeah, you guys hang out together always away from the show as well, right? Uh, we spend a lot of time. Can I open this up? Or yeah, is yeah, it yeah. a gag? Is or it no, a no, not at all. Oh, oh. I so hope not, because it's a big build-up for no payoff. <laughs> it's, it's a gag. Not a mouse trap. It's not a mouse trap. <laughs> What's it like to yeah, finally fantastic. have it out there, Sam? It's a relief because obviously I'm in the business, I'm so used to everything going so immediately live to air. Mm. So this is such a process. I started writing this just before COVID hit last year and because I wasn't travelling due to COVID, it meant that I had time to throw myself into that and finished it at the end of last year. So it's, it's been a long wait. It's now been months of like, oh, it's going to be printed, it's going to be available soon and now finally there it is. Uh, from bungee jumping to stripping, uh, there's performing with the wiggles. Mm. Do, do you still have these sort of pinch me moments? Just the boy from Adelaide and doing all these amazing things. Just a battler from the suburbs yeah. trying to make ends meet on Struggle Street. Yeah, absolutely. The, the big pinch me moment was um, the time that you and I were rope tied together, Larry, which does get a mention in the book. Oh, terrific. That was for the did show, you, I should point right, out. Did you yeah. clear that with my legal team? <laughs> no. <laughs> Nothing has been cleared with legals, which makes it an interesting book. Right, so we're just strapped together in uh, down in Pitt Street Mall. Yeah, that was part of a challenge morning where the hosts would throw a different, different challenge at me every half an hour. Um, you meet so many people, particularly yeah. my role. Like, you know, on some mornings when we visit um, a regional town around Australia, we might meet 200 people that morning, which is pretty cool. Over the course of five years, I've gathered these interesting people and inspirational stories and characters, and now I've picked the best of them and put them into this book, which I think is a slice of Australia because, you know, there, there's so many characters out there, and that's why this job, I think, excites me still. It's because every day is a new adventure. Sam, you did give me an advanced copy and you wrote in the in the front of it. I um, look forward to seeing you on the couch next week, Kylie, when you can pretend to have read when you can pretend <laughs> Well, this is your moment, Kylie. This is your moment. <laughs> so far, so good. You've been very quiet, though. Very quiet. Just trying to get a word. I, I, I have read a lot of it, I will mm -hmm. have you know. And what I really liked about it was actually it's your voice, very much oh, your voice. So you. It's like having you on the couch with us. But your memory is either very good or have you been taking notes? I've you, been taking notes, yeah. Been so Because, you know, man, like, the, your recall is, is phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so Hachette, the publisher, approached me about three years ago and that made it a realistic possibility in my, in my mind. So since that, I started just jotting down a few... I sent myself an email every day with, like, names of people or funny wow. things that happened or interesting people. So then when I wow. sat down to write the book, I had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of emails from myself with moments ready to go. Wow. So, so just, just so we're clear... Uh, people would come up to you and tell you great stories. You take those great stories and put them in a book and you make money from them. Yeah, I'm a story thief. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I do. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> you should try it, Larry. Yeah, it's, wow. it's great. Much, You'll be able that... to buy another property if you try it. <laughs> Plenty of funny stories in there, but you're not afraid to get serious as well, mm. right? 
of course. Um, the two passions of mine, uh, I guess, would be boiled down to mental health. Um, I'm, I'm an ambassador for Are You OK Day? And of course, animals, animal rescue. You know, my cat Coco is a big part of what I do. So uh, there's a chapter on both of those topics and, and they're from the heart. Right. Lovely there's, stuff. There's one person who knows you better than anyone. That's your mum, Loretta. Yeah. So we, we have a... We have one that we prepared earlier. Here's a mum we Come prepared earlier. Come on down, Loretta. Hi, Loretta. Welcome to the morning show. Hey, mum. Loretta, hey, is the morning show your favourite show on Channel 7? Uh, could it be second? Oh, oh, this is a tough crowd. She's very loyal. It's you know, coffee gets crowd. in her ear. She's very loyal. It's second. But I can't I believe I just watched my mum walk onto a TV set with Larry saying, Come on down. Yeah. It's a spin out it's moment. A, what a beautiful day. Uh, you must be so, so proud. Uh, I'm so excited and so pride of Sam. He's worked hard and he deserves everything he's got. He, you yeah. feature a lot. Like, I feel like I know you, Loretta. Oh, do you? <laughs> through Sam's social media and through the, and through the book. And he talks about wanting to make you proud. He talks about the Logies moment in particular. Yeah, because Sam is, always throws these little surprises at me. <laughs> oh, Mum, can you do this? Can you do that? But he doesn't tell me the full story. You've heard <laughs> of, like, stage mum, stage dads? Yeah. Stage son. Stage so son. I get mum to, you know, get on the publicity circuit with me. It's great. Now, you watch him in everything he does, and we love what he does. He brings so much to the TV. But is there anything... Has there ever been a time where you've been like, oh, Sam, don't do... You're a little bit embarrassed. Real Full Monty, was that...? Oh, oh yes. The Full Monty. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't think he would do that. I was quite surprised. Well, it's nothing but he did. Nothing you haven't seen. Well, yeah, but it's been a long time since you've seen it, Kyle. <laughs> <Kyle. laughs> Let's not make it weird. So, is any, have you changed since <laughs> Mum has seen you? Yeah, right. I hope there's been some dramatic changes, Larry. Um, we need to give a shout-out to Tip Top Dry Cleaners in Adelaide. They allowed Mum to come off work today to come and be on the show. Is that, that right? They, they did. So that's boss. her official sponsor? That, that's my boss. was really kind enough to let me have today yeah. off. And Lucky you're on yeah. an advertorial show. We can just do those all day. <laughs> Thanks, Moira. Uh, that we may not know about Sam, that, that all the people at home... Well, he's a bit untidy. <laughs> Sorry, very untidy. Very right, untidy. Right. That doesn't surprise me. Um, when he was young, at home, Sam, have you done your room yet? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you go in and there'll be clothes everywhere, and, but that's Sam. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it's hardly yeah. going to make Daily Mail. It's hardly scandalous. <laughs> but... well, well, it is now. We'll just add a few little details to that and they will do the rest. Uh, you've been writing this book. Has it been one of the most challenging projects you've undertaken? Because it's out of the what we call the wheelhouse, right? Did you discover anything about yourself during this process? Yeah, I did. It forced me to look back. And I think like most of us in this kind of work, you're always like, what's tomorrow? What's next week on the show? You're always looking forward. So it forced me to look back and, you know, through those notes that I'd taken. And it made me really proud, to be honest, of the connections we've formed really quickly and I have to give a mention to my producer Sean Flynn the human emoji yeah, right, who features right. in the book you know he's my right hand man um, you know he he is a people person to an amazing degree and we go to these towns and often we'll only spend 18 hours but we want to make them shine and we yeah. want to have a positive experience and now the book has so many of those people and characters we've met along the way and and there's an endless supply of that around Australia so we can't wait to visit oh, more, more of those stuff. towns it, it really is terrific congratulations you, you and you speak about always wanting that dream job and then you had to take note and go, actually, I'm living it right now. Yeah. Maybe, I've, maybe I've got there. Yeah, mm. it's pretty oh, crazy. Congratulations. Yeah, thank Lovely you so to much. See. You've got to get back to work, probably. You've got to go. <laughs> Tomorrow. Tomorrow. She's um, working a double <laughs> shift to be able to promote this book. Those shirts won't start themselves, will they, Loretta? <laughs> no, they won't. No. no. Right. <laughs> I have to look after the customers. Yeah. I, I look after All right, the it's not the actual abattorial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're a people person like you your son. Yeah, I am. That's where he gets it from. She's going to have fans coming into the dry cleaners now, wanting selfies. They do. They come in and ask for me. Sign this. Selfies, good stuff. Lovely. Mate, congratulations. Thank you, Loretta. Thank you very much. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, Kylie. What was that bit he was saying about how we look towards tomorrow, Sean, and the future? Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, that's a thing. You should try it sometime. You should try it sometime. So they know what's coming up? Yeah. Sam Mack's book, Accidental Weatherman, is available in store and online now. We're super proud of you, Good on you, mate. Thanks, Congratulations. And thank you to everyone who's given their story freely to Sam, too. Well, well uh, 2020 was a year that most musicians and those in the entertainment business would like to forget. Mm. 2021 is the time for artists to rebuild and start performing again. That's why we're so glad that one of our faves, ARIA winner Anthony Kalia, is about to hit the road again for what he's very appropriately named the Together Again Tour. Anthony Kalia uh, joins us now from Melbourne. Hi, Anthony. Good morning. How are you doing? Hi, We're great. How are you? How does it feel to be about to get back out on the road? 
I cannot wait. I'm like a kid in a candy store. I haven't done a full-blown concert since January last year for my Bushfire Benefit concert. So to be able to walk out on the stage again next week in my hometown and kick off the tour in Melbourne, um, I'm a little bit nervous, I'm not going to lie, um, but I'm really excited at the same time. Like, it's it's been a long time coming. Yeah. Mate, it was a tough, tough year. Everyone, we've, we've spoken to, you know, entertainers and performers all through the year. It, it, it's got to be one of the toughest years in history for you guys? Oh, try living in Victoria. Right. We had a double whammy. <laughs> I was relying on Dan Murphy and Daniel Andrews at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> you double Dan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's, um, you know, last year was obviously tough for a lot of people. I'm not going to sit here and complain. I'm, you know, quite fortunate to be in the position that I am. But to see the entertainment industry starting to ramp up again, it's, it's amazing because the industry has been totally decimated. And you know what, I'm, I'm fortunate enough, but it's like the musos and the crew that have been behind the scenes. And you know, a lot of them do live month by month and you know, rely on us to put on shows. So yeah. you know, it's great to be able to, to see them all again and, and walk out on that stage. And you know, I tried to make the most of 2020 um, and there was some antics that Tim and I got up to online and I released a bit of music, but now it's about getting back and performing live. Yeah, I mean, uh, your funny videos, videos on Instagram really took off. Um, any, any chance there's going to be a Campbell Kalia sort of reality show <laughs> or TV show or...? Wouldn't that be good? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think everyone's going to love Tim, but if we did a reality show, people are just going to see the true side of me and, you know, what... Sometimes it's not that great. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> He's the likeable one. He's the likeable one. No, but we had a bit of fun in, in COVID, and I think we are still having a bit of fun with it all out of COVID. So um, we may have filmed a new one yesterday. So keep an eye out over the weekend. Ooh. Oh, good promo. They're very funny clips, mate. You and Tim both work with an organisation called Emotion 21. Now, we know you've got a big heart, but that's got to be really rewarding working with the team there. I love the team there and Tim is an ambassador for Emotion 21 and he does some amazing work so it was great to jump in and have a bit of fun with the kids there and um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Oh, you're a very supportive hubby, we love that. Um, early this morning, uh, Anthony, we spoke to Whitney Houston's former sister-in-law and manager. Uh, you actually worked with Whitney on her final tour here in Australia. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to be able to tour with Whitney and I'll never forget that phone call when the promoter calls and says, would you like to be a special guest on the Whitney Houston tour? And I just, you know, obviously, you know, acted really cool and did a little pee in my pants at the same time, but said absolutely yes. And to be able to share her stage and, and just be in her presence. Um, she was such an icon and she will always be an icon and her music will live on forever. And, and I do have some fond memories of that tour. And, you know, it's just so weird having someone like Whitney Houston stop at your dressing room door and have a chat with you. Um, oh, was... so you did, you did get to interact. It wasn't like she was the star and you didn't have anything to do with her. Oh, you... absolutely. No, oh, wow. she um, she was walking down the corridors and, you know, she was in catering and, you know, I did, and my band as well had a moment with, um, with Whitney as well, which was really, really cool and something that I will hold on for the rest of my life. Yeah, what a memory. lovely memory. Hey, let's go back to your upcoming tour as we say goodbye. You've recorded so many songs since we first met you on Idol. What are fans <laughs> going to get this time around for the show? Well, I released three, four new tracks um, in 2020, so it would be great to perform them live. And I'm going to go back to the seven albums that I've recorded over the past oh, 13, no, how many years now? It's, it's been a long time. I can't even remember. 18 years. Um, <laughs> so I can't wait just to bring all these songs back to life again. And, you know, we're kicking it off in Melbourne next week, and then we're hitting New South Wales and Queensland. And I just can't wait to walk back on that stage and perform live with the full band. Yeah. And I don't have to, like, you know, do insta performances yeah. down my camera yeah <laughs> and your audience cannot wait to see you back up there as well as much as you want to get back up on stage it's been terrific seeing you anthony you too thanks so much for having me again and thanks, have mate. a great weekend took us you for too. the tour tickets for anthony Kalia's the together again tour are on sale well, our next guest is a Harvard academic. We don't get to say that very often on the show. Mm, rarely. Yeah, we have to say Donald Trump a lot. <laughs> Award-winning biologist, professor of genetics and named one of Time magazine's most influential people. David Sinclair is shaking up science around ageing, cementing his position as a global leader in longevity. The Aussie researcher has dedicated his career to investigating why our bodies age and why we don't have to. The big claims continue with David believing that in the not too distant future, living beyond 120 
will become the norm. How so? We welcome David Sinclair from Boston this morning. Hi, David. Uh, what are we doing from a lifestyle perspective in the meantime that is speeding up this ageing process? Uh, well, pretty much everything to do with modern life is a problem. Um, sitting here all day in front of a, a laptop, which I tend to do, is, is a problem. Putting on weight, uh, eating three meals a day, I would say, is, is pretty bad for you. Uh, I've switched to just eating one meal a day, which has uh, changed my uh, my biological age radically. So, David, the thing is, is everything you've just listed, right? Everyone in this building and everyone watching this show are guilty of that. So mm. you say we can slow down and even reverse ageing. So we need you to share a little bit of that wisdom for us now. Yeah, uh, so there are lots of researchers like myself around the world studying ageing as a way to treat diseases. In fact, I, I argue that ageing is a disease that we should be treating aggressively. It's the cause of most suffering in the world. So what should we be doing? We, we really should be uh, getting out of our chairs. We should be eating a lot less frequently. Um, I, I eat regular dinners, but I skip breakfast and lunch uh, as much as I can. I have a cup of tea or uh, a coffee uh, just to keep me going. Uh, yeah, if you limit protein intake, uh, you don't don't have to have a steak every night or a you know, barbecue chicken or anything. Uh, I do believe in olive oil, and, and that maybe not for the reasons you might be thinking, olive oil actually has a component in it, a chemical that activates genes in our body that fight aging. And this is what we've been studying for many years. And the point of all of this is to put your body in a state of a bit of adversity, perceived adversity, um, walking, being a bit hungry, and then your body fights back against aging. Otherwise, our bodies just give up and we decay pretty quickly. Mm. Wow, that's depressing. Um, you say it's not just what you eat, it's when you eat that's really important. You say you just eat dinner. I thought maybe you might be a lunch guy. Uh, no, actually, I think it's it's more fun to, to eat out. And, uh, you know, in the US, we're finally getting back to eating at restaurants here. Um, I don't know if you can tell from my accent that I, I grew up in Sydney, so I may be at Harvard, but I'm still uh, very much Australian. Uh, but yeah, the, I, I prefer to just eat at night and go through the day and power through and just work hard. And I don't miss it anymore. It took about two weeks to get used to being mm. in this state. Uh, and if anyone wants, wants to try it, it's called intermittent fasting or uh, time-restricted feeding. And you just uh, eat less often, but make sure you have those drinks of hot tea to make sure you don't get... Uh, too hungry. Okay, so um, I'm nearly 60, Kylie's nearly 40. Uh, is there a point of no return, uh, you know, where it's impossible to uh, grab that ageing clock and turn it back a little bit? So here's the great news. First of all, I want to say 80% of our health in old age is in our own hands. Only 20% is genetic. So we really should be all re-energised how to take our lives into control. And there really isn't ever too late. We've been studying animals such as mice uh, and human clinical trials, and we find that 70, 80-year-old uh, people are, respond really well to the kind of things I'm talking about. Of course, if you're frail and you're, you, you know, you're, you're already sick, you have to make sure your doctor's on board. But those of us who, and myself, I'm now 51, um, even when I was in my 30s, I was doing this kind of thing. Um, that's the good news. The other great news is we just published a couple of months ago in the journal Nature that we could literally turn back the biological clock. We can now measure aging. Larry, I could take your D DNA and tell you exactly how old you are biologically and when you're probably going to die. And we can actually turn that clock back. In mice, we could restore vision. But we're hoping in the next couple of years to try this on our first patient and restore vision. Wow. wow. Okay. So you say 120 uh, could be actually entirely possible in the future. Do we want to be living to 120, though? Mm. Well, 120 is already possible for some lucky people, um, and I think that that's uh, a good goal for many of us. But do we want to be sick in our 70s and 80s? Is that a good thing? You know, I would argue that the reason we do medical research in the first place is to keep us healthier for longer. And it's just that my approach will keep most, if not all, parts of the body healthier for longer. It's really not about extending old age. It's about keeping people youthful for longer and more productive. And when you do that, actually, the economic social benefits are immense. What would our quality of life look like um, if we're all 110 and 120? How would, how would that even look? Well, the, the idea is that we'd still be playing tennis at age 100. My father, who lives in um, northern suburbs of Sydney, is turning 82, and he lives life just like I do. He's 
as fit, if not fitter than I am and mm. very active social life. So the idea is that in the, just push that out another 20 years, start a new career, do all the things you always wanted to do, have a skill batical uh, that's sponsored perhaps by the federal government to learn new skills. Okay. If you have that long a life, you can do all sorts of things. All right. Um, David, we're right out of time. Fascinating to talk to you. And if yeah. you really do want to have a look at my DNA, Kylie's got bagfuls for the upcoming court case, so she can send you over some of that. Uh, good to talk to you today. To. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks, David. David's book, fascinating, Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To. It is available right now to think, Kylie. You and I could be sitting on that couch over there to wear 120. <gasps> that sounds rather good, doesn't it? I tell you, I tell you I'll what. Tell you what. I tell you I'll what. Tell you what. Only eat like decreasing the amount that you eat. Yeah. You hear that? You're starting to hear that a lot. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And that's why I've cut back to only one packet of Twisties per day. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, property prices continue to surge right across the country, putting the all-Australian dream of home ownership out of reach for many. I You'd say most, wouldn't you? Mm. But while some are being locked out of the market, the number of first home buyers purchasing properties has risen almost 94%, according to new figures from the Australian Bureau of Stats. And it may all be thanks to a secret weapon. It's called the Bank of Mum and Dad. This time last year, just 8% of first home buyers were receiving support from their parents. Now, that number has climbed to more than 60%. Wow. So, is it the right decision to dig deep? And just what do you need to remember if you're mixing family and finances. What a combo. Yeah, Network Finance editor Gemma Acton joins us to discuss. Hi, Gemma. Hi, hey, Gemma. I mean, how much are parents forking out and for what? Kylie, it's a lot of money. We're talking around $90,000 as the average financial contribution from parents to their children. When we think that the average deposit for a first home buyer is $107,000, that's the grand majority of the deposit. Mm. It's around 84% of it. Often when you have a younger Australians in their early 20s or so, they can afford to make monthly interest repayments because interest rates are so low, but getting together that 20% deposit when they haven't had many years of saving under their belt uh, can be really difficult for and them. And what a lot of parents are looking at, like, well, instead of those kids paying rent for all those years and never being able to get a deposit, if we just help them out with that, then the rent converts to the mortgage repayment, right? That's right. That's how people are viewing it. How does this affect the market more broadly? Well, the bigger deposit you have, the bigger loan you can generally get. So if you're armed with a bigger deposit and a bigger loan, you have the mm. ability to pay more and offer more for various house prices and we've certainly seen that house prices in many cities across Australia are back at record levels even if they took a slight dip in recent years. Mm, 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 mm. Um, okay this is an interesting stat. Purchases relying on family funds are actually three times more likely to default on their loan within five years versus you know, somebody who's regularly saved up. I mean parents may want to help, should they? Well. I can really understand that if you're somebody, if you're a younger Australian, you're watching the housing market headlines every month, new record highs, you go to an auction or two and you're completely priced out. I can understand how you might get a sense of FOMO and if you're a parent, you might start to panic on behalf of your child, but you should never take on more than you can afford. It sounds right. really obvious, right, right, right. but financial stress is one of the worst types of stress there is. It's something that never leads you. It leads to a lot of relationship breakdowns. And mm. so you've really got to do your own math. The bank will run some numbers and decide how much you can afford, but you need to be really honest with yourself. No one knows your finances and your situation better than you. What happens if you lose your job? What happens if there's an unexpected illness or another tragedy? And there are just day-to-day -day expenses. A lot of people who own a, a property for the first time don't factor in. If your roof starts leaking, if your plumbing right. breaks down on a right. Sunday evening, you're the one paying these call-out fees. There's an unexpected council tax hike, that's you. Mm. And so I think a lot of people don't have the, the capacity to budget that in initially. And money is at the heart of so many family breakups. It is. It, right? um, <clears throat> excuse me. Now let's move on. The federal bu budget, just around the corner, May 11, we're talking about. It's expected to have a really uh, large female focus here yeah, to get more women back into the workforce. What, uh, what do you think we can expect? Well, last October when we had the budget update, the federal opposition responded to that by laying down some pretty bold and promising reforms to try and help women get back into the workforce. One of the biggest barriers for women um, 
taking their careers to the level they'd like to take them to is that childcare is just so expensive. So at a yeah. certain point, it just stops making financial sense to take on more hours. So some of the proposals we've seen that we might end up seeing uh, in the budget in a couple of weeks' time is raising the minimum uh, Child, with the maximum childcare level rather from 85% to 95%. That's for families earning less than $80,000. Mm. Uh, also, if you earn above a certain amount as a family, there's a cap on t of $10,500 in subsidies you can get back every year, getting rid of that cap outright. They said that last year around 92,000 Australians didn't look for work because it didn't make sense once you factor in yeah, the cost yeah, of childcare. Yeah, yeah. So it's taking that potential, giving it a chance to get back into the economy and generate some, some more money for the economy, just a more productive cycle. Mm. Okay. And just finally, uh, another saving coming is power prices. Oh, this is thanks to new limits on what providers can charge customers. How's that going to work? Right, so before we all get too excited, it's just in New South Wales, South East <laughs> Queensland and South Australia. And as we have said many times on this show and elsewhere on, on Seven Network, the best thing you can do is shop around. Mm. It's always going to be the best thing you can do. You can generally find a better deal. For people who can't or don't want to or, or won't shop around, this will help them. This is people who have been left on a default standing offer, so one of yes. the high-priced offers, and haven't bothered to do anything and about that's a lot changing. Of it is a lot of people. It, it, yeah. it is a bit of a hassle to do this, so you understand why mm. people don't. Um, so the government is intervening to make sure they, the amount they pay is capped at a certain level. Right. But still shop around if you can. Yeah. <laughs> still right. going to be and your good best, advice. best idea. Good advice and we need to take it. Thank <laughs> yeah, you, Gemma. Thank you. Thanks, Gemma. Good to see you. Well, he was one of the original bad boys of Summer Bay. Tristan Banks played the tough, streetwise teen, Tug O'Neill, in Home and Away from 1992 to 94. And trouble followed wherever he went. Yes, it did. Well, these days, the 46-year-old is an accomplished and best-selling author, writing books for kids and teens. And for his latest work, Tristan's breathing new life into a legendary Aussie character 100 years on. Hello, Tristan Banks. Welcome back to the morning. Good to see you, mate. Thank um, you, sir. Now, we've got to talk about this connection. It's wonderful. Your great-great-uncle, Jimmy Banks, created Ginger Megs back in the 20s, yeah? He did. Why did you want to give uh, this iconic redhead another reboot in 2021? Well, I read the, the comic strip as a kid and loved it, and my grandmother had some original Jimmy Banks uh, Ginger Megs illustrations on her wall, oh. and I'd sort of look up, and it would inspire me to draw my own comic strips very badly, and because uh, <laughs> I'm not very good at drawing, but... I I really feel like that was sort of part of me wanting to tell stories for a living and thinking it was feasible. Here we are. So yeah. writer and illustrator Jason Chatfield has been behind Ginger Meg since 2007. Was he happy to hand over the writing duties to you, Tristan? Well, it was very kind of him, don't you think? To yes, he, absolutely. Because he, he, he draws and writes the comic strip every Just, day in the paper. And uh, and I proposed this book because I've I've been fascinated by Jimmy Banks and Ginger sort of all my life and yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, proposed this book and said I've written all these other books would you kind of allow me to to write this and so we teamed up and he lives in New York and I live here and we managed to meet up a couple of times during the during the creation of the book. What, what a blessing! Like what an incredible opportunity, right? Yeah. yeah. You're launching the book at the Sydney Writers Festival. It's a beautiful book. Um, Sydney Writers Festival Family Day this Sunday. Now the festival was cancelled last year like everything else due to COVID. It must be exciting for you to be getting back out there and, and telling the stories about these stories. It is. I usually spend like 90 days or 100 days a year out talking about books yeah, and yeah, schools yeah. and festivals and things and so doing been zooming like crazy like everyone in the last year so this will be one of the first things it should be fun we're going to do you know cake and drawing competition uh, um, and yeah lots of other things Good fun. on family so day. You've authored many best-selling books for, for kids and for teens you've got two sons? Yes. Have so have they inspired any of your work Tristan? Definitely there's actually a story called Lamington Billionaire in Ginger <laughs> Megs yeah. and uh, my son used to bake 40 cupcakes at lunchtime on a Sunday and then he'd go out and sell them around the neighbourhood mm. for $4 each and make like $160 plus tips. And so I thought, what if Ginger decided he was going to become a lamington billionaire and he did the same and, uh, and oh, disaster ensues. So. That's great. Yeah. Now, we can look back at the wonderful history of Ginger Megs, but we also have to look back at your wonderful history and talk about Tug. <laughs> Right. We got, are you okay talking about We tug? can talk about Tug. What do you think? I mean, you're doing all this looking back through all these great works. What about when you look back at your work? 
Um, my acting work? Yeah. Oh, look, it's pretty funny. I think um, a 90s sort of sense of what was what was great acting and uh, <laughs> and a now sense of, of great acting are possibly a little different. Um, but it was fun. It was it was a great first job at 17 and doing that for three years, I think I did it for. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I got to go to England for a few years and present TV and then sort of rolled into writing books. So, yeah, yeah. you know, an extraordinary opportunity. We spoke of your sons. What do they think of Dad's early work? Oh right! Oh, they think it's pretty funny. Yeah. I think, I think they, they like it. They actually, I actually went up there. A friend of mine, Laura, who I worked with on the show, is now the makeup artist on Home and Away, and I got to uh, my boys got to be extras on the show oh, uh, nice. a year or so ago, and they oh, thought nice. that was fun. Now we're nearly out of time. We've got to talk about this fabulous charity, Room to Read. Tell us about that. Um, John Wood wrote this book called Leaving Microsoft to Change the World and uh, you know he went to Nepal realized that a lot of the kids didn't have access to books mm -hmm. and so he set up this charity 20 years ago he's reached 20 million children in the developing world wow. and uh, this year we're doing a world change challenge again um, we've raised about $150,000 over the past few years to buy local language books for kids in the developing world so the, the books will be in Swahili and uh, Tamil and Khmer and lots of different languages to give kids the kind of gift, I guess, that I had when That's I was a terrific. kid. That's terrific. Yeah. Yeah. The, lots the, of the gift of literacy is a terrific. huge gift indeed. Uh, Room to Read is the name of the charity. Uh, lovely to see you. Yeah, you too. Lovely to, to see you. you. Oh, this is a beautiful book. Uh, brand new Ginger Megs by Tristan Banks, illustrated by the one and only Jason Chatfield, is out May 4. It's a hardcover too. It's, yeah, it is. Yeah. It feels so good, I, I haven't doesn't felt it? anything like that for a long... I haven't read for a long time, but I haven't felt that. That's great. <laughs> It was a bumpy start for Big Brother's newest housemates. Eight intruders spent 24 hours flying economy, squishy economy at that, in a simulator before being let inside the house right at the end of last night's episode. Now, while we don't know too much about these passengers yet and how they will fit in with the original housemates, what we do know is that last night's flight is just the beginning of Big Brother's antics. <laughs> uh, here to tell us all about last night's trip on BB Air... Uh, it's one of the newest housemates, Mary. Hi, Mary. Hi, thank you for having me this Talk morning. About making an entrance. How bad was that 24-hour flight? Well, I won't be flying with BB Air again. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> was it actually just like you're just sitting there for 24 hours? 24 like that? hours. And there was one stage when it got really cold that I actually had to push my girdle down to my ankles to keep my ankles warm. It was freezing. Oh, wow. What were you doing wearing a girdle on it? Well, I wanted to suck in. I had put on so much weight. Seven kilos. Right. <laughs> Although that was keeping the COVID kilos in, wasn't it? <laughs> I tried. But you seemed to get on pretty well considering the cramped conditions. Well, it was, but then we kept getting surprises and the food wasn't good, so, yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, putting yourself onto a show like Big Brother, that, that's really brave. People are watching this going, why would someone put themselves through that? What's the answer to that question? A hundred percent, and especially at my age. Uh, the answer to that would be like... I'm 56 and I've never really done anything for myself. Like, yeah, I've raised children, but I don't have anything that is a highlight in my life. So sometimes this you just it. got to jump out and do something crazy. 100%. Good on you. Yeah. I love that. But there may be a few people watching now who think, you know what, she looks a little bit familiar. How do I know that face? Oh. <laughs> so tell us. Tell us the story. My daughter Martha was on maths, uh, I think, 2000 and... 18 or 19. Right. So, yeah, is that, put me in the spotlight. A, is that on, that's on another channel, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it what advice did Martha have for you? Because, you know, they're turbulent times on that show as well. You get a lot, of, a lot of hits on the old Instagram and social media and people telling you what they think. What was her advice to you? She just said to me, be yourself, because people will read that it's not you. So yeah. just be yourself and, yeah. But Good you, advice for life, right? Definitely, yeah. but you can't be anyone else on there anyway because you're filmed Constant. constantly. Yeah, yeah. Right, because is that, to keep up a pretense in the Big Brother house must be just incredible. Did you have any strategy going in? Well, no. Like, my analogy is it's like going to war. If you don't know your enemy, how am I going to be able to make a plan? So... No, I had no plan going in. I did have one little plan. I'll fatten everyone up so they'll be unfit and unhealthy like me. So good plan. Maybe I can win a so challenge. You're a good, so you're what, a good cook? I love to cook. Right. What scared you the most about sharing a house with complete strangers? Well, you're sleeping with them, you're showering with them, 
Uh, what scared me would be nothing actually, because I'm 56, so you can read people as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. And what about alliances? Are we going to see some really good alliance play from you, Mary? Alliance? Yes, I think you will. There are alliances, but yeah, I can't say too much. No, oh. but is that is that an aspect of the game that you enjoy, or did that, or was that difficult for you? It's funny because you go in there and you it's every day is different mm. you might have an alliance here you might and so every day changes it's like a roller coaster you know there's a dip there's a high there's a sharp turn you just don't know what to expect um there's some people in there that would be difficult to manage i don't want to mention any names daniel but how, <laughs> how do you deal with that kind of character i actually got along with daniel right so Maybe because I could sort of understand where he was coming from, but yeah. Well, from a viewer's perspective, he's crazy. To sit back and watch the Dan and Nick show, the odd couple, it's so <laughs> yeah. funny. I've sat on the lounge, our family, and tears streaming down our face because they're just such an odd couple. They it's, are, but it works. Somehow it works together. It's very funny to watch. How do you want people to see you as we say goodbye? How do you want people to see you on the show? Uh, just as me. Yeah. You know? Just as just me. you being you. Me being me, because you can't be anyone else on the show. Yeah. Terrific. While, while trying to walk on quicksand. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, you yeah, just yeah. never know what's around the corner, yeah, right? Yeah, no, that's how it is. Yeah, oh. wow. Uh, we, we're loving it. Thank you so much oh, for swinging by. Lovely Thank to you see for you. having me. Wow. Love to Martha. I shall send <laughs> someone. Is she watching? Oh, probably not. <laughs> uh, all right, so we've had Sam Max's mum, Martha's mum. Oh, Big Brother continues tonight at 7.30 right here on 7 and 7 Plus. It is a great series. It's fantastic characters in it. And that's a wrap on another edition of the Morning Show podcast. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to check out the website for more info. That's themorningshow.com.au. And we'll catch you again weekdays after sunrise on 7. Bye.